Look, the Beckham signing was a seminal moment for the Galaxy MLS and American soccer. However, he is not the Galaxy player that deserves the unique honor of being the first to be immortalized in the form of a statue outside the stadium. A more appropriate candidate would be a Kobe Jones, a Mauricio Sanfuegos, or a Landon Donovan. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about the Beckham statue. We will have our Mossy Makes the Case segment, and Mossy's going to be talking about dual nationals. And we will also have our Ask Alexi segment. We'll be talking about Zlatan and Americans in Italy and so much more. But first, as always, joining me, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. How are you, Mossy? I am good. We are taping this on a Monday afternoon, coming off uh, one of the greatest television productions I've ever been a part of. <laughs> it was a privilege. What are you possibly referring to, Mossy? Explain to the people what you're, because what you're, I'm not going to do it. We've just covered the Nuremberg Borussia Dortmund Bundesliga match, and Alexi Lala served as our host today. And I thought actually did a terrific job. Thank you. Uh, and I will publicly thank you, Mossy, because I am but a vessel for your words <laughs> often. Uh, not on this podcast, but uh, certainly when you see any of the hosts. I've talked about this before when you see the likes of uh, Rob Stone and Kate Abdo and uh, Ian Joy and, and these uh, incredible pillars of, uh, of broadcasting. When they're talking, just know that the words that they are saying are all being written, for the most part, uh, from David Mossy. As was the case today when I did host, uh, I did not get fired. I did not get anybody else fired, although the day is not over. And I want to thank you publicly for all of the words that you wrote. And to Rich, who was operating the teleprompter, which is a key. So he basically has my life in his hands. All these images of, what was the one with uh, Will Ferrell, the movie uh, Cable, uh, the, um, where he's the newscaster and stuff like Anchorman. that. Anchorman. Anchorman. Those started to come. Broadcast news, the sweat thing, and all this started to come uh, into my mind. But we made it through. And if you had a chance to watch it, please be kind. Please be kind. It was my first time. It is an art. It is a skill. Uh, very, very different than being in, in the seat that I usually uh, am in where I'm just talking and spouting off and having my, uh, my opinion and to, to be the referee and to be the... Uh, uh, you know, the, the traffic cop and keeping it going and doing all that and concentrating uh, is a whole other experience. But I had a good time. And as you mentioned, uh, it went off, I, I, if I do say so myself, uh, okay. So hopefully onward and upward into a, a better one. What, when I was reading your words, Mossy, were there, was there any point where you, you said, yeah, he didn't really sell it or he could have done something different? No, it was really? uh, very good from start to finish. I didn't change I a lot say. of them. I know sometimes writers get a little irritated when uh, artists take liberties and start changing words and adding and subtracting as it went on. And but you I, was, knew, I stayed you, pretty you close to You knew better script. than to do that. I, I knew. <laughs> they were so beautiful. I mean, they were. it was basically poetry, and all I had to do was look into the camera uh, and talk. All right, well, it was not a great game, although in the greater context of Bundesliga, uh, we have a title race, and when Borussia Dortmund drops points, it means that uh, Bayern Munich is that much closer to uh, returning to the top so that's uh, from our from a bigger uh, narrative standpoint, it's good because we do have this race go uh, going on, and we will continue to bring you the uh, Bundesliga. All right, Mossy, should we get a uh, get going and light this candle? Yep. All right. As you know, each and every week we kick off the pod with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective, and this week it goes a little something like this. The Los Angeles Galaxy announced that the club is erecting a statue of David Beckham outside the stadium. My first reaction, what the f Look, 
The Beckham signing was a seminal moment for the Galaxy, MLS, and American soccer. It fundamentally changed the direction and the perception of the team, the league, and the sport. Beckham is an undeniable global icon and a legend. However, while Beckham brought unprecedented attention, relevancy, and ultimately success to the Galaxy, he is not the Galaxy player that deserves the unique honor of being the first to be immortalized in the form of a statue outside the stadium. A more appropriate candidate and one that would better respect and recognize that the Galaxy is much more than just David Beckham would be a Kobe Jones, a Mauricio Sanfuegos, or a Landon Donovan. Now, that was my first reaction. My second reaction was, this is brilliant. This is smart business, smart marketing, and smart PR. At a time when the Galaxy is struggling to maintain their relevancy and battling for hearts and minds, even in their own city, you had to do something big. You got to do something sexy. You gotta do something to distract from the problems. Enter David Beckham. The Galaxy have created a moment and Beckham will capture attention once again because that's what he does. The unveiling will be a global news event that will transcend sports. It will be a feel-good moment for a team that hasn't felt good in a while and it will remind everyone of the Galaxy's history of success. Beckham will always be an important part of that Galaxy history. He helped build it and with this statue, it seems he's still helping. All right, David Mossy, there is my State of the Union for this week. What are your thoughts on this statue being erected of the great David Beckham? It's funny. The, the Yankees haven't won a World Series since 2009, much to my chagrin. I'm a Yankees fan. And in recent years, they've started to honor former players and retire numbers with a much greater frequency than ever before. And there are those who have pointed out that it reeks of, let's celebrate our glorious past to distract you from our not-so-glorious present. <laughs> uh, Michigan football, another team I root for, gets dinged a lot for celebrating its history too much. So I agree with you. If the Galaxy continue to struggle, I think you're going to see a whole lot more retired jerseys and statues and anniversary celebrations. It's been X amount of years since our first MLS Cup title. So yeah, I think that's definitely what's behind this. Well, as someone who was employed by the Los Angeles Galaxy many, many years ago at a time when they were not doing well, I can readily tell you that if and when that happens, you do everything in your power to distract. You do everything in your power to remind people that you are still there, that you are still relevant. Now, to be fair, at the time that I was uh, there, they didn't have LAFC breathing down their neck in terms of what's going on on the field with LAFC in this market and off the field with this incredible stadium that they have. So I, I get I get all that. And and look, honoring David Beckham, that's a no-brainer for, for anybody. For all, all the clubs that he played, whether he played a long time or little time at some point they are going to use the power of David Beckham which is the reason why many of them uh, went out and spent money to bring in David Beckham. That's that's fine and there has been a ring of honor for the Los Angeles Galaxy do that does include the like of the likes of Kobe Jones and Mauricio Cienfuegos and the late great uh, Doug Hamilton but a statue is a different thing and this is going to be a literally a touchstone where people are going to go and they'll, 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 there will be pictures next to it. It'll be kind of this thing. And they're, they're doing a really interesting thing outside the, uh, the stadium. Dignity Health Stadium now, I think we're calling it. Dignity, Dignity Health Park. Anyway, it'll, it'll take a little while to get used to what we're calling. But regardless, this statue of David Beckham is going to be uh, uh, outside. And my, my whole point was that don't make him be the first, okay? And, and if you're going to have him, if you have to have him, then have him next to a, as I said, a Kobe Jones and, and both of them going in because as important as David Beckham was, and believe me, I know how important it was. I remain incredibly proud that I was there and uh, was able to play a small little part in that in terms of the history of the Galaxy and how it impacted that brand and Major League Soccer and the sport in general. But I also recognize 
that the galaxy is much more than just David Beckham, as important as as he was. So that's where it rubs me. And look, this is in the greater scheme of things, it, it, it's not it's not something that I'm losing sleep over. But it did it, it was interesting to me to see the reaction uh, of people, both internal in, in in terms of this market, but also people out out there. And it'll it'll be that moment. It'll be that viral moment. You are going to see David Beckham standing next to the uh, the statue. Now, given the uh, the problems that Cristiano Ronaldo had with his bust, and this is a statue. This is not a bust. I guarantee. And having worked with uh, the Beckham folks that this is buttoned down. There will not be anything like that. This will do him justice in terms of the optics and the aesthetic that they come up with. I have to say this statue story has become another opportunity to relitigate Beckham's MLS legacy. And I know I'm walking into a minefield here because I'm talking to the person that signed him. <laughs> but I do remember when he left the league in 2012, some of the stories that were written did rub me the wrong way because I did feel like they exaggerated a little bit his impact. Obviously there's different layers to it on the field. The first three years were bad to the point where uh, Grant Wall even wrote a book, The Beckham Experiment, more or less portraying it as a failure. Really? And then, and then yeah. the last, and then the last two years were very good. So he yes. went out on a high, and you know it was sort of a mixed bag on the field. But you can argue on balance it was it was positive. Certainly no denying the impact in terms of jersey sales, attendance, TV ratings. But the one that gets me, it's sort of this hard thing to measure. It's sort of an intangible thing, but people just throw it out there. And I'm not sure if it's really true. This idea that he really elevated the credibility of the league around the world. I'm not sure if you ask people about MLS around the world in 2007 and then asked again in 2012. I don't know that the opinion would be like discernibly different. What's your sense yeah, of that? So you're absolutely right in that I don't think that he moved the credibility of the league as far as others may may argue. What I do think that he did was move the relevancy of the league. And there is, a, there is a difference. And the reason why he didn't move the credibility is that he was already well on his way to being this brand that we talk about. And it was of his own making. He's incredible in terms of his ability to to churn news, to be the focal point, and he's very, very good at it, and that's why he gets paid a lot of money, and that's why people want him there, because he draws a crowd, and it's global news. But but as a player, he was still, I think, looked at globally as much more of a brand than had, say, a Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo or a Zidane that that transcend the sport in a way that there's never any arguing. There's always an argument about how good David Beckham actually was. There's never an argument about how good Chris, you might like him or not like him, but Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi, these types, of, these types of players are coming in. And so that's where the relevancy, I think, is, is what David Beckham was brought in and paid, and that's what we wanted, and that's what we got. The relevancy of the brand of the galaxy suddenly became truly and realistically global and the relevancy of Major League Soccer. Now, the credibility of the league, that's, that's a different thing because of that argument when it comes to how good he actually was as a player. How did that signing come about? Uh, did you fly to England and meet with him and try to convince him? How, well, at that point, he was playing at Real Madrid. Oh, that's right, obviously. So, yeah, so he was playing at Real Madrid. How did it come about? Uh, okay, so people ask me about this all the time. And look, I, as I said, I'm incredibly proud of the work that the men and women did in order to make this happen. But our work, uh, and certainly my work, was much more on the backside in maximizing David Beckham. How this came about, three important people. Number one, 
Phil Anschutz, okay? Without his money, this does not happen. Number two, Tim Laiwicki, who at the time was head of AEG. Without his vision, this doesn't happen. He cultivated a relationship with David Beckham over the years with camps, and then when the, the, the time was right, he knew this is what we're going to do and we're going to do something big. But just saying you want to do something and having that vision is one thing. Actually being able to do it, and that's where Sean Hunter, who's another name that you may hear in terms of his AEG, and the importance of getting the rules in place that enabled the Beckham rule. People will talk about it and ultimately became this designated player type of, uh, of rule, enabling them mid-season to be able to do it. Now, the whole rebranding and, and myself and at the time Frank Yallop flew over and met with David Beckham and we, you know, we talked about things and we knew that this was going to challenge us. And I've talked about this before, the hurricane that is David Beckham. We made plenty of mistakes along the way. I got the on-part field in terms of the product uh, wrong, uh, but I got the off, off part, uh, off field part in terms of monetizing that product right. And so I remain incredibly proud of the business that we did, but the product on the field with David Beckham initially wasn't great. They made the changes, including, as I've said, uh, the firing of myself and, and others, and the people that came in got it right on the field. And that's when they were cooking with steam. Uh, and I, I also will tell you that the galaxy kind of needed to, to go through that, but it was, it was, Interesting days, to say the least. In terms of just on-the-field play, where would you rank him in your list of all-time Galaxy players? Okay, so this is, and this comes back to the the, the statue thing. I, I think uh, when you're talking about guys like Carlos Ruiz ahead of him, uh, Kobe Jones, Mauricio Sinfuegos, uh, even guys like, you know, I would say Kevin Hartman, Robin Frazier, all of them, just from a pure soccer standpoint, uh, I, I would definitely have him in the top ten. Okay. Uh, I don't know where ultimately, maybe we'll, we'll ask our uh, listeners and our watchers out there to come up with their top 10. Our producer, Alex Dowd, loves lists and, and best exactly. 11s so, and things, so, so yeah. I'm smelling so, a Galaxy oh, all-time best I would 11 put, put here. ahead of him yeah. um, in terms of pure soccer impact. And so that's why, once again, and look, Kobe Jones has been around long enough. If I'm Kobe Jones, if I'm Cienfuegos, these are all human beings with all of our insecurities and with all of our ego and arrogance and stuff like that. While, while I recognize why this is being done, and Kobe will never say this, so I'll say, I'll, I'll say it for him. Come on. Come on. I mean, and, and those guys will be around, and David Beckham, this is, this is prime David Beckham. This is what David Beckham does and lives for and is so good at. And look, they, they obviously came to him. I don't know. We'll find out how it all, how it all came about, but he's not going to say no, or maybe he would say no, and maybe somebody else would have, would have said no, but this is going to be a great moment. The other part of this is, and I know you're probably going to ask me about this at some point, is the fact that does it, does it rub you the wrong way that we now will have a statue of a individual that is also an owner of a team that's not the team that he's outside the stadium for in that he's going to be owning uh, Miami over there and this is going to be outside the Galaxy Stadium? That doesn't bother me doesn't that bother much. Me. No, no. It, doesn't, it might bother some people. I, I don't think. This is for what he did in the time that he was here as a player. And so I, I, don't, I don't find that as as grating or as hard to swallow as I do the fact that he is the f he is the first one. I would have had no problem, like I said, if it had been alongside others, and there were three statues or something like that, and he is one of them. But to have him be the first, I think it doesn't spit on the, on the past or anything like that. It just, uh, I, I get it. 
And as I said, it's it's brilliant from the folks over there at the uh, at the Galaxy, and hats off to them, and they will make everything out of it uh, going forward. But it does rub me the wrong way a little bit. There's a funny story when uh, Michael Jordan came out of retirement in 1995. Steve Kerr uh, said that one of uh, his teammates with the Bulls, I forget who it was, came up to him in the locker room and said, "Do you think he'll start right away?" And Steve Kerr said, "I think as a general rule, if there's a statue of you outside the stadium, you're not coming <laughs> off the bench." So who knows? Maybe David will get a few more, uh, a few more minutes going forward. All right. Look, as I said before, this is not going to change anybody's life, and this is not a matter of life and death. I will be interested to see how this statue, statue actually looks. I will tell you, there was talk many, many years ago when I was at the Galaxy of putting statues up, and we went and priced them out. And immediately it became, all right, let's go to busts. Uh, and then immediately became, all right, let's go with the half ones, the, the plaques type, type of thing. So uh, they will be spending a pretty penny on this. And as I said before, anything that involves David Beckham is agreed upon um, and signed off on from his camp uh, and his incredible camp and team that he has working. So I bet you that this is going to be something that is going to be majestic. It's going to be expensive. And most importantly, it will create a global type of moment that will celebrate who he is and obviously celebrate who the galaxy is. And then they will go on and play and I'm sure going forward people will go to the Galaxy games and want to have their picture next uh, to the uh, David uh, Beckham statue and I hope going forward and the Galaxy have told me that going forward there are going to be others I hope going forward that they rectify the situation and getting people like Kobe Jones people like Mauricio Cienfuegos people people like Keen people like Landon Donovan people like Kevin Hartman these types of players to also have the statues so you can put your arm around statues of uh, LA uh, Galaxy greats uh, that aren't uh, named Beckham also all right, moving on. Hello, people. Alexi here. More of the State of the Union podcast is on the way. But first, I want to tell you about a service every soccer fan needs to check out, Fox Soccer Match Pass. With Fox Soccer Match Pass, you can stream live and on-demand matches from the Bundesliga, international friendlies, and more, all on your favorite devices. The best part, though, it's all ad-free, and you can cancel at any time. So check out foxsoccermatchpass.com and get started with a free seven-day trial today. Now back to the show. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's time for Mossy makes the case. What are you casing for this week, David? My case is that sometimes, whether we like it or not, choosing a country is not all that much different from choosing a club. Last week, West Ham midfielder Declan Rice broke Irish hearts by announcing that he is switching his international allegiance from the Republic of Ireland to England. Rice was born in London to English parents. He was only eligible for Ireland through his grandparents, but he did represent them at every youth level and made three friendly appearances for the senior team. In his statement, he bent over backwards not to offend his adopted country, talking about the affinity he had for Ireland, but he did say he was a proud Englishman, which prompted some Irish fans to ask, if you're such a proud Englishman, why did you represent us in the first place? What Rice didn't say, which is the issue that overhangs this whole thing, is that when he chose to play for Ireland, he was not yet a Premier League star being courted by one of the best national teams in the world. Dual nationals, when announcing their decisions, always have to use this patriotic rhetoric and opaque language about doing what's best for them, but they can never straight up admit that there are footballing considerations in these decisions. England are better than Ireland. He wants to play in a World Cup. 
That most likely would not have happened with Ireland. It will happen with England. Simply put, he got a better offer and he traded up. Uh, Rice has been linked to the likes of Manchester City and Arsenal. This upcoming summer, he will most likely leave West Ham to join one of those clubs for a massive fee. And when that happens, it will be the second time in 2019 that he used a transfer to elevate his career. Ooh. Interesting. Interesting take, uh, Mr. Mossy, as always. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to get a little idealistic. I'm going to get a little romantic here in terms of how I look at this. I know it's 2019, and I know it's easy to be jaded and cynical, and, and, and it is a different time. However, I still hold tight to that notion that you represent the country that you ultimately want to represent because you love that country, because you love that culture, because you don't want to represent anybody else. And that more than anything supersedes any advantage or any opportunity. I'm not naive. I, I, I get that there are considerations, especially nowadays when we have so many uh, dual nationals. But I would rather lose games as a national team. I'm talking about the U.S. national team with players that want to be there than to win play with a bunch of players that are only playing because it's their best chance to play. The, the, the mercenary type of approach to the national team, it, it saddens me. And maybe I'm just old. <laughs> now, just to explain where I come down on this, I actually agree with you. If you have a country that you genuinely identify with above all others, you should play for that country. That should trump all footballing considerations. But some people through their life experiences have two countries that they have more or less the same affinity for. That's how Rice tried to portray it in his statement. So then it is going to come down perhaps to which is the better team, which coach you like better. Uh, but it's, it, they can never admit that because that's just bad form. So they always have to sort of dress it up in this vague language. But uh, this was clearly Rice uh, when, when he, like I said, when he played for Ireland, he w- England weren't pursuing him, and and then when England really came after him hard, then he changed his mind and said, "Well, I have a chance to choose to play for a better." It, it's also team. worth mentioning that while I remain, uh, I, while I believe in the in the goodness of human beings, I don't necessarily believe in the goodness of coaches. And so, when you have national team coaches out there whose job is to win, they are going to do whatever is within their means and. Uh, and power to amass as much talent and as many tools as they possibly can at their disposal. So while you're going to get assurances that, yes, you are, you're on my radar, I'm not going to guarantee that you're going to play, but I'm going to bring you in. As soon as that player now steps on the field and they are uh, uh, cap-tied, I guess it would, be, it would be called, now they can't play for any other country, there's no assurances that this is ultimately going to play out perfectly for. Now, this is an, an undeniable talent. I get that. But if you're a coach, you're going to do what you feel is best for your team and for you to do, uh, to do your job. And you are going to, even at times, stockpile talent to give you the best chance of winning and to hedge your bets. Uh, Let me read you some quotes that have gotten Declan Rice in trouble here. This was March of 2018, less than a year ago. There's no decision to be made. I have not had a call from the FA, and England have never wanted me at underage level. It's always been Ireland. I'm fully focused on playing for Ireland. There's no decision to be made. If I didn't want to be playing for Ireland, I wouldn't be here. And then on whether he would meet Gareth Southgate. No, not at all. I'm fully focused on Ireland. And then a few days later, he made his Ireland senior debut against Turkey. And here's him talking about the Irish national anthem. It brought a little bit of a tear to my eyes singing it and remembering my nana and granddad. It was a special moment. (laughs) 
What happened since then? England got to the semifinals of the World Cup. They're in the semifinals of the UEFA Nations League. They have this young, fun, exciting team, and he's now decided that he wants to be a part of it. I mean, simply put. And, and he's blossomed into this Premier League star who's good enough now, so Gareth Southgate had put on like the full-court press on him, and he was okay. compelled to... <laughs> uh, I, I, once again, I get it, but... You know, those moments where you see the tears, you just mentioned tears, <laughs> tears streaming down the face, Buffon screaming out the national anthem, the pride that some of these countries that know they're never going to win the World Cup that are there for the first time. We saw Panama this uh, th- this summer. The realization of a dream of representing your country. And I've told you before, in no way would I ever equate what we do as national team players with the service that one gives to their country from a military per- uh, perspective. The only opportunity I ever had to serve my country was to put on the, the U.S. jersey and to stand up there and to put my hand over my heart, to sing my national anthem, to stand there and to, in that moment, realize that, I'm yes, I'm living, uh, I'm living a dream, but I'm also representing this country that I hold so near, near and dear. And if that's just out the window... If that's just done, then as you said in your open, it's just another club scenario. But I, 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 I refuse to let that happen, Mossy. <laughs> all right, I will go down fighting. I will die to defend the sanctity of the national team. You are representing your country, your culture, your people, your history, and that is worth fighting for. That is worth losing for. That is worth not going to the World Cup. And I will respect you so much more if you say, you know what? I am taking a team that ultimately represents our country and represents our, our culture and wants to be there. Every single one of those players wants to be there. Even if they lose every single game, I would rather have that team. And when it comes to the U.S., Mossy, I tell you this, all right? I would rather have a team lose the World Cup with a bunch of players that want to be there, that only want to play for the U.S., than to have a United States national team win a World Cup populated, as I said, by mercenaries and are there only because they want a chance to play in a World Cup couple things. Right now, the rule is that if you if you play in a friendly that doesn't uh, cap tie, it has to be a competitive fixture. Right. There are different schools of thought. When Diego Costa in 2013 played two friendlies for Brazil at the age of 25, and then a few months later decided to play for Spain, which he ultimately did at the World Cup, Sepp Blatter, who was FIFA president at the time, said, you know what? We have an issue here. We need to rethink this. Maybe past a certain age, friendly should cap tie you too. Now, Johnny Infantino, Sepp Blatter's successor, has gone the complete other way on this. And he said, maybe we need to even loosen up the rules as far as competitive matches. He said he sees nothing wrong with a player representing one country in a World Cup and then a different country in the next one. I mean, where where do you side on that issue and just sort of the general rule? I mean, would would you like to see it the rules even stricter so that if you make a decision... I would like to see the rules even stricter. I, I, no, I, I agree with you. I will say, though, I don't have much sympathy for Republic of Ireland because they, they, they try to take advantage of this, uh, what, what people call the granny rule. And the Irish Federation employs scouts in England whose sole job is to identify these young English players who have Irish grandparents and thus are eligible for Ireland. And tr- they try to get there in an early age at like 14 or 15 and convince them to play for Ireland. And when you do that, invariably there's going to be a risk and sort of a hit or miss quality because some of these kids are going to blossom into big time players. England's going to want them and they're going to, they are English after all, they're going to ultimately choose England. And so I did read some columns in Irish newspapers saying, look, any any type kid like that we get, it should, should be looked on as a bonus, but we need to start developing players of our own, and Irish clubs need to improve their youth system and academies, and so this situation has led to a little bit of a reckoning, which I think w- was much needed, because as English papers have pointed out, wait a minute, you can't try to steal our players, and then when it doesn't work out, act like the injured party here, so that's <laughs> sort of the English perspective on it, so it's been kind of an interesting situation. 
Uh, it's funny. I mentioned uh, Rice's father is English. He actually was hoping he would play for Ireland and admitted he's very disappointed because evidently he grew up in a part of London where he was surrounded by Irish people and immersed in Irish culture. And he actually views himself more as Irish than English. So he well, kind of disappointed well, his father. he should play. <laughs> <laughs> Put him but, on the field. Yeah, I would so, rather lose with his, what's his name again? Uh, Declan? Declan Rice. I would rather yeah. lose with Declan Rice's father on the field. All right, then win with a player. Who this situation want to be there. has caused a major rift between Keith Costigan and Warren Barton. There's, oh. I mean, they, they, you know, already don't like each other all that much, and then, well, and, and, then and look, just... this is this is not going away, and this is not something also that's new. We have, we have dealt with this, and and I want to be very very clear. Once again, the rep- representing your country has absolutely nothing to do with where you were born, how long you've spent in the United States, whether you can speak English or or, or any of that. It's something you feel inside. I remember, you know, years ago when. Uh, Terrence Boyd, uh, who, who he was talking about the, the feeling and the excitement and the pride that he took uh, representing uh, the national team. And look, I played with Thomas Dooley and I played with Ernie Stewart and a bunch of uh, dual nationals. And, and, and I get it. Even, even back then, my, my father is Greek, but it never occurred to me. Now, how, had the United States national team not been there for me to play and Greece had come along and said, hey, you know, uh, why don't you come over here and you could possibly play in a World Cup? I'm, I, and this is why I don't fault the player. That would certainly turn my head. But once again, I would be that mercenary. And it's not that I don't love Greece and, and that's not part of my heritage. And, and it's not that I couldn't, I couldn't do that. But I would be doing it for the wrong reasons. In the uh, 1998 podcast that we've talked about, uh, Roger Bennett, uh, there was a whole uh, episode devoted to the David Regis sure. situation. And yeah, I mean, you were. So I mean, how did that sort of when, when he showed up? I mean, well, that was you know, that was a little different in that it was so late in the game, right? Uh, and it didn't help that you know that everyone that that, that there was a, a recognition. This was a uh, um, a defender who uh, had, uh, had grown up and was playing in France, uh, spoke very little English, and he was able to, he was eligible right at the last minute and they came in with the team. And that's a little bit different coming into the team at the end and, and messing with the, the whole dynamic that exists there. Uh, and and, it, and it, wasn't, it wasn't good. But ultimately, even if you come in last minute, you just, you, you want people to be coming in, in with the, the right attitude. And I know I put, I'll put that in quotes because what is the right attitude? Ultimately, it's just a recognition that you are there because win or lose, the pride of representing whatever country it is supersedes all of that. And once all the scores are gone and you've won, you've lost, you've scored goals, you haven't scored goals, you've been a great player, a little player, you've played one minute or you've had over 100 caps, what you're left with is that pride of representing your country. And if that goes away, we will have lost something in terms of soccer. I'll end on this. I know you don't like me uh, talking about England and how great they are. But boy, that, that, they're young talent right now. I mean, this was like one position where they had an issue, and now they filled it with Declan Rice. So between Sancho and Rashford and Hudson Odoi and Phil Foden and Declan Rice, yeah. 2022 England, look out. He'll, he'll, he'll do great, but it won't be real. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Mossy. Moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time for our Ask Alexi segment. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on the uh, social media machines, and uh, we will read a few of those questions as we are about to do right now. Mossy, what do the people want to know? First up, at Ryan underscore camp. Most talented player ever to play in MLS has to be Zlatan Ibrahimovic, right? No. No, 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 no. I mean, look, there's a lot of players that have played. Is he... 
<laughs> is he one of the, the biggest personalities? And, and look, it's still a very small sample size in terms of Zlatan. If he, could, if he continues on, I think if he is able to put back-to-back historic performances, then I think he's uh, in, the, in the conversation right now. But, you know, I was watching, what was the movie I was watching the other day? I was watching, um, oh, the, uh, I was watching The Right Stuff. And there's a, uh, the moment in The Right Stuff, it's about, uh, you know, our, our race to space and all that kind of stuff. And it talks about the whole history of these incredible flyers. And uh, there, was a, there was a moment where one of the astronauts uh, who was getting a lot of notoriety was talking about the best pilot that he ever saw. And rather than, he wanted to say in that moment that it was, that it was Chuck Yeager, who was not well known at that point, but all with, within the, the game, or within, in this point, it would be flying if, this, if, I, if I'm talking correctly here. He wanted to say it, and he ended up not saying it. He ended up saying, well, it was me. I'm the best player, uh, pilot you ever saw. But it's kind of like that, where a lot of these names get lost in history and how good they actually were. Someone asked me this the other day, and I, I mentioned a defender by the name of Luko, Lubos Kubik, who... I look at it as one of the most talented players I ever played against or ever saw play. Now, a lot of you might not know his name. He played for the Chicago Fire. He was a defender. He was uh, towards the end of his career when he finally uh, came over. And, and kudos to the Chicago folks, including Peter Wilt and Bob Bradley, for finding, not finding this player, but, but bringing this player over. He was a center back slash central midfield maestro. The, the things that he was doing... At a time when, people, when teams didn't often play out of the back, he was a man out of time with his composure and his control coming out of the back, never panicked, never got out of second gear, it looked like, and yet was never caught with the ball, uh, had a change of gear even with the ball that was phenomenal. So there's a lot of players, and this is a, a question that could go on and on and on. And I'm not trying to be cool inside uh, in the weeds, uh, inside baseball type of thing by mentioning him. I'm just saying that this is the last 22 plus years there have been some really really good players and some that don't have the high profile like uh, a Zlatan when all, when all is said and, and done you know I think Zlatan will probably be in the conversation I think he's got to play a few more years a couple years it's still not enough of a, of a sample size for me but no I don't think that Zlatan Ibrahimovic to answer your question Ryan Camp is the the best player, uh, the most talented player, I should say, to play in Major League Soccer. Next up, at Nurse Dude Steve, why do so few Americans end up playing in Italy? So for you youngins out there, there's not a lot of Americans over the years that have played uh, over in, in Syria. And look, there, there's a couple of things uh, that have happened. So first off, the way the world and the soccer world has changed with the, the Bosman ruling and the opening of the European community and what Serie A once was uh, is not what it is anymore. And certainly the, the corruption and the problems that they have had off, off the field in terms of the business and, uh, and you know, some of those problems have not helped and have hurt that if there was a, was a case study on how to kill the golden goose, you can look at uh, the way Serie A was once the place to go. Having said that, there still have been very few Americans that have gone over there. Maybe you can just blame it all on me. It just scorched earth after I came over in the mid-90s. And then we had guys like uh, Gucci Onyewu for a very brief time, and then Michael Bradley, who did a, a very good job. Uh, different guys like Denny Zatella, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, even Roy Lasseter a different time. But for the most part, I think there, I think there is a cultural reluctance to value 
American players in that I don't think that there is a general confidence that American players can adapt to the culture, can adapt to the soccer that is played uh, over there. I don't buy that one bit. I think that more American players, if given the opportunity, could be successful and could, could find some really, really fun days of their career uh, on and off the field by getting the, that opportunity. But we also know that that Syria in general over the years has been very insulary. And as I said, it, it changed has, has changed a little bit with that Bosman ruling and with um, with the opening of the European community and the, uh, the, the exodus, if you will, of more Italians, because there was a time where Italians just didn't go anywhere. That's all. And they didn't have to go. They, they didn't have to go anywhere. But I think that, as I said, there's just a history or a lack of history, if you will, of Americans going over and having any long-term success. I think Michael Bradley right now would certainly be the person that you would point to playing for multiple teams. Uh, and I think leaving a, a good image and a legacy of himself, uh, for himself, but also for the American player. I hope that that changes in the future, but it certainly has taken a long time for them to open themselves as opposed to someone like the Bundesliga, which has opened their arms to American players, not just to bring them over, but also to play them. All right, what else? At Stars and Gripes, apparently Ajax fans were firing off fireworks outside the Madrid <laughs> Hotel the night before uh, their game. As a player, how much did things like that affect your play? It didn't affect my play, and this happened everywhere we went, especially when it came to going to uh, Central America. Uh, you, you would go, and they would, you know, they would be at the airport. Uh, then they would follow the bus, uh, you know, fans. And then that whole thing in the middle of the night, all those those stories that you hear. So the fireworks outside, the loud uh, music outside, the pulling of fire alarms, uh, all of that type of stuff. That was that was just something that I expected. And then you know, it's it's uh, German shepherds and it's Uzis and it's uh, police escorts everywhere you go and all of that. It's uh, it's it's moats. It's whatever it ends up, ends up being. I I wanted all of that because I had heard tell of this, and so I wanted the full experience. And so I, in a certain way, I romanticized it. And so I looked at it as I want that full experience of what it is like to play. And and I got it time and time again. And the, it only served to give me exactly what I wanted. It only served to to rile me up. It was never. I never looked at it or I never felt that it inhibited me or, or, or was a hindrance to me physically or mentally in terms of my preparation or ultimately that it resulted in anything less than the performance that I would give regardless of if there was fireworks or uh, for anything else. So um, it, it still continues, but I think players right now, they're, they're, they're pretty well-versed in what to expect. It doesn't happen as much over in Europe, which is why it was probably a, a, a story, but it still happens time and time again, especially when you're playing for the national team. The U.S. national team deals with this on a consistent basis, but you know, you put some earplugs in and, and away you go. Anything else, Mossy? That is it. All right, thanks for the questions, uh, and use that Ask Alexi hashtag and send it out there on uh, social media, and Mossy may read one of your questions in future episodes of the State of the Union. All right, moving on. The Back Three. All right, time for our back three. Some big stories, games, and moments from the last week. What do we have this week, Mossy? All right, the uh, Champions League round of 16 is off and running. Uh, let's do last week's games first, then we'll move on to this week's. Um, I thought Young Phenoms was kind of a big theme. You had PSG brushing aside Manchester United. 
and the uh, Madrid newspaper Marca, their headline was Neymar's PSG officially becomes Mbappe's PSG. Did you, watching that game with no Neymar or Cavani on the field, Mbappe leading the way, playing as a center forward, did you kind of sense that, that that was sort of a coming-of-age moment for him? I, I did. I think it was important to him in terms of his, once again, his brand. Not that his brand is is, is being hurt in any way, with, with, given what's happened over the last year. But it's just being it's just being improved by these types of performance, and it is improved that much more and that much more impressive. And that it is his team going forward because of the fact that Neymar's not there. The kid I mentioned last week, Nicolo Zaniolo, scored two goals for Roma, who beat Porto two one. Uh, on Wednesday, Vinicius Jr. had another very good game, a beautiful assist uh, for Kareem Benzema and Real Madrid's 2-1 win away to Ajax. And then Tottenham beat Dortmund 3-0. Uh, let's stop there for a second. A couple things uh, about this game. First of all, the insularity of English football fans cracks me up. This was billed as like, finally our chance to get a look at Jaden Sancho, which the kid's been starting every week for the last six months for the team on top of the Bundesliga. You couldn't pry yourself away from the Premier League for one <laughs> second. This is your first time watching Jaden Sancho play. So out that's of sight, out of mind. Right, a country out of mind. <laughs> that's thought, how it works. I thought over that there. was kind of funny. But then uh, I tell you, Pulisic is in the line of fire now. When you make this sort of move, yeah. you subject yourself to a lot of what I'm going to call bad faith analysis because nobody's looking to tear down some kid at Dortmund who they signed for no money but lots of people are going to be looking to tear down uh, an American kid that Chelsea paid 60 million pounds for so this game was framed as like a referendum on whether he can play in England or not and and so the knives were out afterwards and I read all these articles and tweets about how he got exposed and what a waste of money this is and it was completely unfair he he didn't play that badly he sort of went along with the rest of the team which was a good first half and kind of faded out of the game in the second half but I didn't think it was that bad I mean and let's be fair Mossy, you could start for Chelsea at this point. I mean, <laughs> so no matter what, he's going to come in and help this uh, help this Chelsea team. I'm not crying for Christian uh, Pulisic at all. Although I will say, and I've said this before, that staying healthy is a skill. And it's one that, uh, unfortunately right now, I don't think that Christian Pulisic, Pulisic has mastered. And that's not something you want to have attached to you if you are a big money player and a player that people are expecting to contribute from the moment that you hit the ground. So being healthy for Christian Pulisic is very, very important. Not necessarily now, but certainly when he makes that big move to uh, Chelsea in the summer. And then looking ahead to this week, uh, I'm going to circle back to Liverpool-Bayern because I think that's the most interesting game. But the other game on Tuesday, uh, Lyon hosts Barcelona. Barcelona are not playing well right now, but they, they should not have any issue with Lyon, especially uh, Nabil Fikir is suspended for this first leg, which is a massive blow for Lyon. And then the two games on Wednesday... Uh, Schalke host City. That to me is the most lopsided tie of the whole round of 16. I tell you, City, they're going for this quadruple and they could have had a major issue with fixture congestion right now, but they've gotten such easy draws, it must be said, in all these different competitions. It continued today. I don't know if you saw the FA Cup quarterfinal draw, but they do. They drew Swansea. So, I mean, they've, they have, they've barely broken a sweat in any of these competitions because they keep getting, and I think they got the easiest possible draw in the Champions League as well. So, I don't think they'll have any issue dusting off Schalke here and they'll be off to the quarterfinals. All right, but get to the meat. Get to the game. Well, okay. Then the other one Wednesday, which is great, is Atletico Madrid hosts Juventus, which I think is a very scary tie for Juventus. You know these games are going to be kind of nil-nil, one-nil, a bounce here, a bounce there. Uh, Ronaldo has a great scoring record against Atletico Madrid from his days with Real. Diego Costa came back from injury this past weekend, but I don't think Simeone will throw him in right away, so I think Morata will start alongside Griezmann. He scored for Juventus in a Champions League final against uh, Barcelona, so that's a great tie there. But I think the best tie of this whole round, the most competitive 
compelling one is Liverpool-Bayern. Liverpool host Bayern on Tuesday, first leg. Uh, we talked a lot about this with the likes of Keith Costigan uh, in the office today. Uh, what, what are your overall impressions of this? Well, it was interesting. You mentioned Keith Costigan and Zach Kenworthy, the uh, both huge Liverpool fans. Right. And it was uh, it, it, there was this undercurrent of doubt it was just just bubbling under the surface okay uh and they were they they felt compelled to kind of put off this aura of confidence and yet i think it was a false bravado <laughs> i think they are worried i think they are worried that uh, and 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 if they are worried that's a problem because this bayern munich team i'm telling you right now if there ever was a point to play Bayern Munich, and, and, and then they're on their streak now uh, domestically, that's all fine and well. But this is not a good Bayern Munich team right now. And if Liverpool struggle with this Bayern Munich team, man, oh man. Although I did ask them, I said, I asked both of them, would you rather have the title or would you rather have Champions League? And it didn't even take them a half a second to say they would rather have the title given the historic value and the getting that monkey off their back, which... So maybe they should just throw this anyway and just concentrate on the title. Yeah, I mean, there are certain clubs like Bayern and Real Madrid that you can never discount because of their pedigree. Sure. But I agree with you. On paper, Liverpool are the much better team. Uh, the clear favorites to me in this tie. Although no Van Dijk. No Van, Van Dijk, Dijk is yep. suspended for this first leg, and there's a doubt over Firmino. But still, uh, the other end, Robin and Ribery both out. Thomas Muller suspended. I know those guys aren't what they were, but still, in a big game, you wouldn't mind having them out there. So I think it's going to be Gnabry and, and maybe Coman if, if he's fit. But there's a doubt over him, too. Uh, but I just th- I just see Salah and Mane exploiting those spaces behind Kimmich and Alaba and, and Matt Hummels' lack of pace. So I think Bayern are going to have also – they're conceding goals to the likes of Augsburg and Stuttgart. So I, I don't know how they could shut down Liverpool. So I, I think this is Liverpool all the way in this all right, tie. So. Bayern Munich's definitely winning. Okay. So, <laughs> so Bayern makes for a neat segue. Next topic is the Bundesliga. Uh, the title race is tightening. The game we covered today, Dortmund drew 0-0 away to last place Nuremberg. So their struggles continue. It is now just three points. I mean, I'm wondering if we do have a title race because I'm more worried now about wow. Bayern blowing past them. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I mentioned uh, the uh, Liverpool fans and their confidence, their faux confidence that I say. It, it's, it's amazing because the Dortmund fans are, are the same way. They're saying, oh my goodness, could we possibly lose this? But we, we can't let anybody know. We can't let on that we're worried. They have got to be worried. Okay, so now it's three points. Uh, we know that Bayern Munich, and, and given what I said about Bayern Munich, Domestically, it's a different it's a different story, but Bayern Munich now three points away. They're going to play Dortmund in April, so this is definitely a title race. I just think right now, with not just the injuries that uh, Borussia Dortmund is, has sustained, but just the way that I think they're looking around, saying what is going on. And okay, Royce is, is very very important. I I I get that right now, but they're not getting the points, and they keep dropping these points, and they keep. Uh, they, you know, they keep letting them and, and giving them opportunities. Yeah, it, it's winless in their last five in all competitions. But to be fair, the first of those games was a 1-1 draw away to Frankfurt, which was actually a good result. And Bayern lost that day to Leverkusen, so they actually right. increased their lead from 6-7. to seven. And then the next game, they got knocked out in the German Cup by Werder Bremen. Who cares? To me, I, I draw the line at 3-0 up on Hoffenheim, 75-minute yeah. 
minutes in at home. Uh, I, I was watching that game. They threw the live standings up. It was 10 points, which I know Bayern hadn't yet played in that round, but still that visual of seeing any team with 10 points ahead of Bayern and Dortmund were putting on a show and 3-0 and Jaden Sancho doing amazing things. And you're thinking, wow, this is their year. And to go from that to where we are today has been just a, a stunning turnaround. And, and the psychology. And once again, we were talking about uh, Dortmund uh, relative to uh, Liverpool. And uh, we were talking about how when Liverpool is the underdog, when you tell them that they can't do something, that's great. Their problems come when they are the king, when they are sitting on top, uh, because it's, it's very, very difficult for them to transition into that place and certainly to stay in that place. And I think it's the same for Dortmund. They, they are constantly, I fear that they are constantly in fear and just waiting for bad stuff to happen because they are in this place where psychologically they haven't been. Chasing... Bayern Munich, that's all fine and well, because if you don't get there, all right, you didn't get there because it's Bayern because it's Bayern Munich. In the same way, Liverpool chasing others, all right, you didn't get there, but you're, you're, you're chasing a team that's above you. Now you're sitting there, and everybody wants to knock down, knock down the king, and it is difficult, especially when they are clawing. And they're clawing on the field, they're clawing off the field, and the things that, uh, and things, the things that they say, from a, uh, from a neutral's perspective, it's great because we get to watch these two go back and forth and we see if mentally, whether it's Liverpool or whether it's Borussia Dortmund, mentally they are able to take this to the finish line. The other big Bundesliga story we should hit is Tyler Adams, who has been just phenomenal. He had a beautiful assist uh, for Yusuf Polson this past weekend. Leipzig beat uh, Stuttgart 3-1. They're kind of strengthening their grip on fourth place. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I've been really impressed for him to step in right away into that starting lineup of a good team and, and not look out of place at all. Okay, so, so why are you impressed? And I guess my, my uh, surprise comes at, at your surprise. Why is it so surprising that this player should come in? Is it because he's American? Is it because he's coming from MLS? Is it because he's young? Why, why should it be so surprising that this player has done this? No, because th- there's a similar situation playing out with this Brazilian Lucas Paqueta with AC Milan, and I've been equally surprised there. I've just been programmed to think that sort of a young player coming from who hasn't played in Europe yet, there's going to be like a little bit of a bleeding in period first couple of games. Maybe we don't start. I mean, they these players are getting thrown in right away and not looking out of place and, and sort of in sync with their teammates. And, and, and just, so it, it's, it's impressive. the whole Red Bull structure? play into it. And and look, I know they try to separate it out, but let's be honest. There's still a recognition. There is still a pipeline. There's still a lot of the same names. There's a lot of the same philosophy that goes on. So how much does him having grown up in the Red Bull structure play into this? Yeah, it can't hurt. And obviously having Jesse Marsh there as an yeah. assistant. Uh, so yeah, I think that's definitely a part of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't think it's, it should be surprising. This guy is a talent. I think it's wonderful. I think it's great for him. It's great for the, the Red Bull organization. It's great for Major League Soccer. It's great for the U.S. Uh, national team. And as you said, it's been seamless. He has not missed a beat. He's gone in there. The amount of ground that he covers, which is something that from an MLS standpoint, we've been watching him do now for a number of years. It's not anything surprising to us, the amount of balls that he recovers, the amount of ground that he covers, and the fact that he is uh, very, very quickly being someone who you put first when you write your 11. And we'll end on this, the Mauro Icardi situation. Uh, He is the star striker for Inter Milan, who was recently stripped of his captaincy. Luciano Spati was a bit vague about the reason, but but everybody figured out that it had to do with, he's got this uh, agent slash wife, Wanda Nara, who's kind of a cross between Yoko Ono and LeVar Ball. And uh, <laughs> this has been a problem for years there. She loves to pop off on television shows right. and Twitter. 
And she did so again recently. She talked about how he doesn't get enough service and Inter need to sign better players around him. And, and so that rubbed everybody the wrong way to the point where they're like, you know what, we're going to strip you of your captaincy. So, I mean, let me ask you in general, like, did you ever have any during your career situation where your agent kind of said something publicly that you, you didn't like and you got to kind of control your agent and reel him back in? And No, because, well, first off, I didn't have family members <laughs> Uh, and certainly not my wife. My wife, uh, she's she was she would be capable, but I just think it's it's it. So that's not, not advisable to you. It's, I, in my expert opinion, you should <laughs> not have your wife represent you. Okay, I because I think you're putting your wife, and I think you're putting your career in situations where it could be uh, it could be detriment. It doesn't doesn't have nothing to do necessarily with how capable somebody is. And look, I, I get it. There's a trust that 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 supersedes a lot, but. At some point, you're going to have to trust uh, trust somebody, and I guess for him, it's it's trusting his wife. But no, I I constantly remind my representation that they are a representation of me, and so therefore, when they say something, it is a reflection on me, and I can't then just say, "Well, that's just my agent uh, saying something." If you represent me, then I have given you the opportunity, and I've given you the ability to go out there and to talk and to negotiate on my behalf. And therefore, the things that you do and say, as I said, are going to reflect on me and you can't just wash your hands of it. And so I uh, I make sure that my representation knows that. Is it specifically wife? Because I find Neymar's dad to be just a repugnant human being. I can't stand them. And so is, is it just family members in general that get you in trouble because they're way too- I think the, uh, I think the problem is, is that Look, we are, all, we are all human beings, and we have to bring a degree of, of humanity and passion and pride and, and at times friendship and, and at times love to the people that we represent. But when that, when that clouds your vision and when, when you know, our, our biggest fans are always going to be our, our family. Uh, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, grandfathers, grandmothers, that, that's, that's natural. But that can be detrimental, bringing that type of passion and love for somebody to the negotiating table uh, or bringing it to the public, it can backfire very, very quickly because, look, we know that agents oftentimes pump players up and, and do that from a tactical uh, perspective. But I just think it's, it's a problem. So whether it's wife or, or husband or, or anybody, who knows? And, and, and this is obviously a problem right now. I, I don't think that this would be a bigger problem if this wasn't specific to his agent who happens to be his wife too, right? Is that, is yeah, that correct? Yeah, and, and just to address the elephant in the room, people are predisposed to not like her because uh, she was married to a different player, Maxi Lopez, and when Maxi Lopez and Icardi were teammates with Sampdoria, she started having an affair with Icardi and ultimately left Maxi Lopez for Icardi. And a lot of people think that's the reason why he's only gotten eight caps over the years for Argentina because the players don't want him around. Messi doesn't like him because of it. Maradona's tr- taking shots at him on Twitter over it. So there's sort of that issue the, circling the over the players this are the ones with the baggage. You do not want your representation <laughs> to have baggage because that baggage will be brought in. Fair or not, that baggage will be brought in. That baggage will influence people that you are negotiating against. That that baggage will influence the public per- perception of your players that you represent and the brands that, that they represent. And you are doing a disservice to your client. And it's interesting because he didn't go to the World Cup despite scoring 29 goals in Serie A last season. So it's hard not to look at that and think it must have, have something to do with the whole situation. Well, he's talented. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and he, by the way, he's 25 years old. Iguain is, I want to say, 31. Aguero is about to turn 31. So like he should be that next 
next guy in waiting and the, the Argentina center forward for the next several years. But there's such question marks around him that I don't know if that's ever going to be the case, if well, he's ever going to be the man. I so. think he's really going to have to look hard about firing his agent <laughs> and then going back and talking to his wife about the situation. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> good luck, my man. Uh, that is it. That is it. Uh, that is it. So we come to the end of yet a uh, another show, and we get to our one big thing from today's podcast. And I know earlier I talked about the the David Beckham uh, the David Beckham statue, but the other thing I also mentioned as we came on, as we came on to this podcast was the fact that I had uh, hosted our Bundesliga coverage, and I want to reiterate uh, how great the people are that uh, that I work with and um, the respect that I have for people as I said like Kate Abdul like Ian Joy like Rob Stone like uh, the greats that I have had the incredible privilege of working with that have uh, that have hosted uh, it, if you're doing it right then it looks easy if you're doing it right and and if you're good at it then people at home like myself and others sitting on the couch say all that person is doing is reading. Well, it's a whole lot more, and you have incredible help. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, the writers uh, that uh, you, whose words you are saying and how you say those words, when you say those words, are, are important. Thank you so much, Mossy, for uh, making it uh, as as painless as it possibly uh, could have been. It was fun to do. I really, really enjoyed it. I had great people behind the scenes uh, working and making it something that was a whole lot fun. Maybe I'll do some more uh, in the future, but the reality is that I just wanted to say, uh, uh, if there, uh, while I had a, a certain respect, uh, when you sit in that seat, uh, when you try to fill some of those shoes, you recognize how great some of the greats are out there. And you know, I mentioned the ones at, at Fox that I've worked with, but over the years, uh, whether it's a, a Mike Tirico or a Bob Lee or a Chris Fowler or these these greats of the industry that you see that make it look so effortless uh, when you are finally uh, on that show and it, you are hosting uh, you recognize the incredible skill that they bring to bear when they are doing it uh, week in and week out and they make it look so easy anything mossy before we head out uh, i've just received an email you did such a good job today they are building a statue of you outside the <laughs> fox studio <laughs> Well, I hope uh, I hope uh, that it looks good and people can uh, take uh, pictures of it. I listen. I'm going to take a picture in front of the David Beckham statue when uh, when it is unveiled here uh, in a few weeks. As I sure as I'm sure a lot of people are. All right, we will be back again next week with another episode of the State of the Union podcast. I want to thank you all. As I said before, mentioned uh, uh, your uh, Ask Alexi hashtag Ask Alexi. Send us your questions, your comments, your concerns out there on social media, uh, and we will uh, pick the best of them for future episodes of the State of the Union podcast. All right, we will see you again next week, and as always, size the day.